0: Uh, welcome, restored church. I need to say that because I need to get used to saying restored church. Uh, and so, if I say any other name, it's you know that I'm working at it. If you were not here last week, we rolled out our uh, name change that we are um, uh, now restored church. And the reason why we we did that is because we believe uh, wholeheartedly that God continues to use this church here to help restore right relationship to God through Jesus and to restore right relationship to one another through Jesus like like we we believe that Jesus is the king of kings we believe that he is the alpha and the omega and we believe that he is the reason why we come here together so it is our longing and desire that we continue to be a place where people find restoration Uh, and listen not not restoration through the pastor not restoration through the singing restoration through jesus christ there there is there is nothing more precious nothing more valuable no treasure greater than jesus and, and I, I, I desperately want you to know that because he has changed my life and continues to do so. And so what we want here is to passionately show you that Jesus is the greatest treasure you'll ever find. And the, the more we start to treasure that treasure, the more in love we fall with that treasure. And then it just naturally from there, we start talking. I mean, you talk about what you love, right? Like I I have I got to eat at Texas Day Brazil. I'm just saying. Mm. I love I love the steak there. So I, I I brought it up right now because that's this is what we do. If you eat at a restaurant you don't like, you say, don't ever go there. We talk about things that are most on our heart and mind. And I just want to position you in a place here this morning that the one who has the throne of your heart and of your mind is Jesus. And then you begin to talk about him all the more. Netflix. Um, it's become a problem for some of you. You know. Oh, you're quiet. You're like, I didn't know he was going to call me out today. Yeah, Netflix, all of it. Uh, y- y- Netflix did something to you and I. Uh, maybe not to you. Maybe you have better self-control than me. Uh, but whether it be Netflix or Hulu or any other of the streaming platforms, uh, it exposed you. It's in you and I, our desire to be a part of a story and our like longing to know those characters and to follow the settings and the plot and to be probably overly invested in the story I am. Correct? You ever find yourself thinking about the characters of the show you're watching? confessional uh what what happens i don't know if you remember this before these streaming platforms you had to wait a week before watching the next episode do you, do you remember those days i was saying the other day now now you can pick whatever show you want to watch and binge it you watch it religiously for the next 36 hours until you get everything done you're like why did it end and you don't have to wait for the next one but I remember when there was a show on that I used to love to, to watch. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want to be like, you know, the pastor watches it so I can. So that happened. That, that happened before. I'm not going to do it. Anyways, I loved the show. And literally, it left me in suspense every week. I couldn't. I was thinking about it all week long. I'm like, how crazy are you that you're so invested in a TV show? You're thinking about it and it's consuming you. That was me. And I know there's some of you out there. And here's the reason. Did you know that we're a part of the greatest most wonderful story ever told? And because we're a part of such a beautiful story of redemption and love and victory, we get drawn into that. We get drawn into love triangles because you and I understand it. We understand the pull of trying to love God while being pulled in a different direction. We are in the greatest love story of all time. So it makes sense on why these things captivate us and pull us in and it has our attention. But there's always that moment, whether it's a TV show or a two part movie, Netflix hasn't loaded it yet. It hasn't came out yet. They're still working on it. And you see the last episode and it says, to be continued, (laughs) Like life is over. What am I going to watch now? My my daughter and I are watching the show right now and we literally have like three episodes left. And she looked at me last night. She's like, dad, what are we going to do? I'm like, we'll find something else. Don't worry. Daddy to the rescue, okay. Uh, Either way, it's kind of how the disciples might have felt um, at the end. If you've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you would know that the way they end is kind of abrupt. That what ends up happening is that Jesus shows himself, walks with his disciples for a little bit, and the way the Gospels end, if you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it ends with Jesus left. He's gone. And I I wonder if for the disciples, they're like, okay, what's next? We, We just got done singing a song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow, this concept of now there's no more fear. I would have to say, though, we can sing that and believe it and hope for it, but you and I still experience fear on a regular basis because we're constantly asking the question, okay, what is next? What do I do now? Is this enough? How do I? And so... I I wonder for the disciples, if when they saw Jesus ascending to heaven, they were like, I have no idea what to do next. In fact, after the second time that Jesus showed himself to Peter and a few of the disciples, and he left that time, Peter decided, you know what, here's what we should do. Let's go back to fishing. That's what we did before Jesus. That feels right now. So Peter convinced James and John and some others to go back to the very boats And nets they left three years earlier to follow Jesus because they had no idea what to do next. And so I'm excited to let you know um, that there's a sequel. And it's called the book of Acts. And we are going to spend the next several weeks. And when I say several weeks, I mean probably several months in the book of Acts. I have no idea how long it's going to take us. But what I do know is that it's going to take us on a journey of this story, this beautiful story that continues to unfold. And it reaches, it doesn't actually, Acts, even though it ends it, Chapter 28 doesn't end because what's going on in Acts is the spreading of the kingdom, the gospel going out and is still reaching hearts today. And you and I are here because when Acts began, when it launched, when the church was inaugurated and began, it started this thing called the um the church that spreads the gospel and reaches even into your heart's and mind today. And so we get to see this unfold. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're only going to be in a few verses this morning. Uh, I'm kind of going to do an introduction, so if you're like a Bible geek you'll like today. If not, you'll be like, oh, hopefully not that, but either way, Acts chapter 1 is where where we will be. Um, Let me just give you some information, some backdrop of this. The author of the book of Acts, if you read the title, it probably says the Acts of the Apostles. The author is Luke, Dr. Luke. If you want to read the first book he wrote, it is uh, the Gospel of Luke. He he writes that book and this one to the same person, a guy named Theophilus. Um, and n- knowing this is is important because as Luke, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter to his friend. Now now there's some debate out there on who Theophilus is. We we actually don't know. There's different theories. I don't, I don't want to uh, consume your time with giving you all the different theories, but what I have realized in reading a lot of the scholar work about Theophilus is that no, nobody knows. Everyone has speculated who it is. What I think is important is actually what's behind the name Theophilus because Theophilus actually means lover of God. And and so it could be to a specific person. It could be a general title. It, It could be to a friend of Luke. It could be to an employer of Luke who sent him on these journeys to capture what Jesus was doing. We don't know. Could have been the high priest at the time. We don't know who it is. What we do know is by definition, who Luke is writing to is a lover of God. And I like that because for for those in the room who are lovers of God, This was written for you. And so you and I can enjoy and savor everything that's in the text we're about to read because Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing it to the lover of God. Now, um, with that, it also shows how personal God is in the spreading of his gospel. What I mean is that we have made church and what we do here a little bit more corporate and big in its magnitude. Um, But the way God got the message out was to inspire a man named Luke, a doctor to follow around, gather up the stories about Jesus and about the beginning of the church, and then write this guy, Theophilus. So it's just a personal letter that God inspires through the Holy spirit to then become the very words of God himself maybe should make powerful the intimate and personal conversations we get to have with one another on how God still moves in words. Now with that, let's discuss the setting for a moment. We're going to see that what is happening in the book of Acts is moving things from kind of subjective uh, experiences to objective reality. Meaning that it's no longer just going to be about one person having an interaction with Jesus, but Jesus interacting with multiple people on multiple occasions to let you and I know um, that it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't someone hallucinate, uh, hallucinating. It was literally Jesus showing up on the scene. So it becomes proof, objective proof that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Um, the other important part with the setting of this book is It's transitional. Meaning the book of Acts is taking you and I on a journey, on a journey from the old covenant to the new covenant. That when Jesus gives his life up, pays the price, becomes a once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of humanity, and then resurrects. What he's doing is inaugurating the new covenant that we have through his blood and his death. And so the transition period is the 30 years that Acts covers. And, And so it's important because, listen, there are a lot of people who pull a lot of crazy ideology and doctrine out of the book of Acts that can't be substantiated in other places um, because this book is the acts of the apostles of God moving amongst his people through his spirit in a new way unlike they have ever seen before. Case in point, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would lay upon somebody. David, King David, Samson, different judges. What would happen is the spirit of God would be upon a person. It wasn't until the new covenant at which the Holy spirit would invade inside the person. And so it's a transition period of God's spirit now filling his people, which is a beautiful thing, which we will see that unfold. But I tell that to you because we're going to get to some interesting parts in acts that I am excited about that we'll have to deal with because there's been some craziness that's been associated with it. So, We'll, we'll have fun with that. But could I, for a moment, let you know that this is a 30,000-foot view of 30 years? Meaning, if Luke wrote down everything that ever happened, a day-by-day day thing, this book would be very, very long. And so what we are capturing is what God had felt to be important for you and I today that happened during those 30 years. And I want to bring some perspective. There are approximately, almost exactly, given a few spots, 30 miracles that happened in the book of Acts. And to be in such a like driven culture that chases after miracle after miracle, like give me my miracle sort of mentality, in 30 years, the author writes down maybe one a year. That's interesting. Maybe there's something else going on here that we need to latch onto, not just the experiences, but the very words of God that are never changing. And, and so I, I bring that to your attention because I think a couple of things happen. One, we get so hyper focused on what God can do in my circumstances now that we are actually not listening to his voice. And so, so what you and I need to understand is that there's probably moments in the 30 year span where Luke is writing this down, where he skipped some days that didn't go as planned. That maybe when we read it in one sitting, it looks like, man, look at all this this amazing thing happened. Look at Paul going from one place to the next. He's getting stoned, getting back up, going back into the city. This dude is amazing. But I bet you there were some days in that 30-year span time where Paul's like, I don't even know if I want to get out of bed. My conjecture, just throwing it out there, but I believe that because we're all human, and the good thing about humanity is that history repeats itself, and we all seem to have pretty bad days at times. That maybe while the apostles are moving in and about spreading the gospel, they still had some tough days. That things didn't go their way. But we have exactly what it is God wants us to have. To know what it looks like for a community to be restored and rescued by the grace and mercies of Jesus in the book of Acts. So we have what we need. now. The other thing, before I dive in, let me give you a little bit more, is the purpose of this book. Uh, We see it outlined. We'll talk about it in a moment. But the purpose of this book is to um, watch the gospel invade in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Like that's what that's what we're seeing happen, is how it's going to play out that the gospel is proclaimed. In fact, it's the book that has outside of maybe the gospels so many speeches. Like, why why did in the inauguration of the church, in the this is what it looks like to be an apostle, are there so many moments where there's preaching and teaching happening? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So so God designed the way for his gospel to spread and light on fire the hearts of humanity is through the gospel message being preached and taught. There's a phrase that went around for a while. I, I, for, I forget exactly. Let me, I will share the gospel and use words if necessary. You should be kicked. I'm sorry if you have that t-shirt at home. uh, be, Because... If your right living is what points to Jesus, we're wrong. Because it's the gospel message that says, I can't live right. I can't obey enough. I can't do enough. I'm going to fail you. So my life may point to selfishness, but let my words tell you about Jesus because he's the only one who can set free this dead, broken heart. He's the only one who can take my actions that keep pulling me back in and change them. Like Jesus is who it's about and it comes through our words. And we see this proclaimed and underscored throughout the entire book of Book of Acts. So, you guys ready? There we go. Two of you. Acts 1, verse 1, it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up um, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, I want you to flip back, if you would, just to Luke chapter one. I want you to see how he begins Luke chapter one so we get a full picture. Inasmuch, verse one, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Just as those whom from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past to write an orderly account for you, Most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Can I just point something out to you? Um, Man, I I think we need more of this in the church today. This is what Luke says to Theophilus. Uh, It seemed good, verse 3 again, it seemed good to me also. Having followed all things closely. Meaning Luke's like, I'm not just going to believe what someone tells me. I'm going to investigate. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to follow all things closely. And Dr. Luke, having an investigative mind, follows all that's going on, all the narrative, all the testimonies, all everything that's going on. And he concluded this, that Jesus Christ is king. Now, here's what I love. If I run into people who, like, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. Like, y'all respect that you say that. But why? I don't know. It's just a hoax. Did you investigate that? Nah, I just this what my gut feeling. That's how I feel. Just doesn't align with the things I align with. Did you investigate that? Have you actually followed it out closely enough to determine both mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, that Jesus isn't for you? Or Did you just associate Jesus with a group of people and you don't want to be like that people and so you're like, I don't want that God. Here's what I'm saying. Man up, woman up, do what's needed to follow closely enough to actually come to that determination. And that, my friend, is what I think we need more of. Don't jump on YouTube and listen to the guy who's going to tell you exactly what you're feeling. Follow it closely. Then determine. I have so much respect for that. Either way, Luke is letting Theophilus, this lover of God, know that he he is writing this down after following things closely. Go back to go back to Acts. It's beautiful. Yeah. Verse three. Uh, well, let's go back to the last part of verse two. It says, well, start verse two, until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke reminds us of those in the crowd of whom Jesus handpicked minus one. Judas. Who is no longer there. uh, Took his own life, which we will see play out later, but... uh, Verse 3, he presented himself, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now here is where things transition from just subjective moments and experiences to objective truth. Meaning, if you have a friend who comes to you and says, hey, I saw a flying unicorn when by my window last night, it was crazy. You'd be like, eh. you're crazy. There's no way you saw a unicorn. Yes, I did. No, not possible. They don't exist. I don't know if you know that no unicorns exist. Sorry if I just ruined that for some of you. They don't exist. No, I saw one flying. No, you didn't. That's your experience. And here's the problem. Have you ever tried to argue someone's experience? (laughs) It's useless. Because if there's an isolated experience of this is what I saw happen and no one else can confirm it, all that is is subjective. Maybe you saw a cloud that looked like a unicorn. It was a plane. Definitely was. Either way, it's subjective. But Jesus spends 40 days after his resurrection showing himself to what we'll say later, 500 plus people. Testimony after testimony of seeing Jesus Christ alive after resurrection moves from being one person's experience to now this is an objective Absolute truth that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. You'd be hard pressed to find any historian that would say otherwise, which is what makes Jesus so complicated. There's too much proof. And it says it here in the book of Acts Luke's letting us know in his investigative way, saying, Hey, Theophilus, I just want to let you know. And he spent 40 days with us. Some would say, How about just a couple of days? A couple of days would have been good. No, he spent 40 days. You ever wonder when the others who killed him started to hear the rumors about him being back alive, what they were doing? Hiding? Plotting to kill him again? Forty days he shows himself, and he then begins to speak about the kingdom of God. Nonetheless, probably letting them know, hey, uh, hey don't worry. Everything's going as planned. Because I don't know if you remember, it wasn't but a few days earlier than that when Jesus was arrested and tried and beaten and crucified that the disciples scattered, uncertain of what was going to happen. And now they have their Savior sitting in front of them for 40 days, teaching them Bible studies, one-on-one, group on whatever it may be. Like they had the greatest Sunday school teacher for 40 days. It's amazing. Forty days. I wonder if he used the felt board. No. So it wasn't, it was, anyways, here we go. Look at this, verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, You heard from me from John the Baptist or John baptized with water and you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now we know the great commission go and teach all these things to Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the ends of the, the earth and then the same breath he's like but wait go but wait because my spirit is going to come Now, you and I understand what that means because we have the full picture. They're in the moment. They have no idea what this means. They have no clue about what's going to happen a few days from now. They're probably kind of fluctuating from fear to excitement to fear, because I don't know if you've ever been in the room with someone who was once dead and now alive. I'm sure it stirs up a bunch of emotions. And he's saying, I got one better. I know I'm alive in front of you, but I'm also going to send you a helper. The spirit is going to come invade your life. Invade my life? You came through years ago, and I left the nets, the boats, the family. What's he going to do? You'll see. Nothing like you ever seen before. Jesus just like just sliding it, letting them know it's about to get good. And so they wait. So when they had come together, the disciples, apostles asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, okay, he's not talking about the kingdom of Israel at this moment. Uh, they kind of interrupt what Jesus is teaching, talking about in this moment, because they still don't get it. You ever been there? Things just aren't making sense. Things aren't connecting. You can have all the proof in the world. It's just not connecting yet. I think it's why God sent his son to become the once for all sacrifice to then show us when he walked with the people that God designs or desires to be intimate with you and I. Because it's not simply about the knowledge that you have, but recognizing the love that he has for you and then start to reciprocate that love towards him. That it's more about this relationship that he desires than it is about a bunch of knowledge that you have. Because there's days where it just doesn't make sense. For them, it didn't make sense. It's like when Peter interrupted on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? Jesus transfigures in front of Peter, James, and John. He's shining like lights. Uh, Moses and Elijah show up. And Peter, in the midst of this extraordinary experience, Peter's like, it's good that we're here. Me and James and John, he left the other guys in the valley. It's good we're here, though. You know what? How about I build some tents for us? Condominiums, that work for you? (laughs) God interrupts Peter's interruption And it says, quiet. I mean, he doesn't say that. That's my version. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I wonder. I wonder if the reason why things just don't connect sometimes, things just don't make sense sometimes, is because we try to do too much talking and not enough listening we try to make our life make sense of Jesus instead of allowing Jesus to make sense of our life. This is what he's trying to get them to understand. And so he's like, he said to them, "Uh, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He says, listen, get your eyes off of when God's going to do certain things and get them on what he's about to do in you and through you. He's about to send the helper, his Holy Spirit, that's going to invade your life and give you power. Power. Power for what? What is the purpose of this power? I would argue the main purpose of a believer and the power that comes alongside and within us is to point to Jesus that he gives us the power to point to him, that he gives us the power to show that the gospel of Jesus Christ is significant and magnificent, that what happens is when the gospel goes out, that power breaks down hard hearts of stone, softens one's reception, and then is set free and then bound. That's what we'll find out in the book of Acts. If we stay our course, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to set you free and also to bind you. Here's what I mean. You'll be set free. From thinking you can do all this on your own, that you can fix your own life, that you have the power to control the destiny of your soul. You will be set free from trying to become the best version of you now. You will be set free from doing as much as you can of penance to try to make things right with God. You will be set free from trying to outweigh all of your good with all of, or outweigh all of your bad with all of your good. You will be set free from all of these things, and Jesus will say, it is finished. I did this for you. Come to the Father, right relationship restored because of what Jesus has done. But then he will bind you to his community. You'll be set free from being, doing it on your own to now the power to bind you to his people. A kingdom perhaps, an army that will be ever invading. So so let's understand it this way as we work through the book of Acts that the power that comes from the gospel will break the bonds of, or of anything holding you captive. But don't ignore the second part. His spirit binds you to his people. And that matters. You want to see God move in extraordinary, beautiful ways? He does it in the midst of his people, humbled before him, listening to him and celebrating his goodness. So we will see that take place. So um, let, me, let me finish this out. I'm going to have the band come up in a minute. Yep. Verse nine. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus flew away. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white ropes and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Interesting exit strategy of Jesus. There's different beliefs on where this took place. If you follow some of the craziness, there's one church that has a rock in their, in their church. I was, this is true. I was told this by a, a legit source. They saw the rock. This rock is encased in their church of where Jesus had a footprint in this uh, rock of where Jesus pushed off to go into heaven. Must have pushed off so violently that he left a footprint. And so this church is centered around this rock. That's intriguing. Don't think that's how it happened. Either way, Jesus... Leaves his disciples by going into heaven. If they weren't already freaked out about the whole thing anyways, you were with us. You were beaten. You were crucified. You were thrown in a tomb and now you're alive back with us. And now you're leaving us and you're flying. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you heal a bunch of people. This is the first time you've flown. We probably could have used this at some point. He flew away. And like anyone else, they're like this. <laughs> Where'd he go? No idea. You ever wonder how long they stood there? Long enough for two guys to show up they didn't know about. Just stood like. I don't even know what was going through their mind. Here we go again. He's really good at leaving. With a lot of unanswered questions. Now what? Let's see if he comes back. Okay. And they just wait. And then two guys in white robes, probably angels, show up because they waited that long. God got involved because they were waiting that long. They go go down there, let them know to move on. And they're staring and he says, listen, the Jesus who went up that way will come back again. So then they went into Jerusalem. And we'll start that next week. The band can make their way up here. Um, here's what we're going to find out, if I could. Uh, Because I gave you the purpose of the book, but I want to give you what our goal is and our objective is. You and I, as we work through this, we'll see how the power of Jesus Christ has the ability to rescue and redeem broken people and then to restore those broken people into community. Small pockets of communities One big family. All children and daughters of the king. Why would we not want to see this story unfold? Forget all the shows we watch on Netflix that captivate us. This is the great, greatest story ever told. And we're in it. You and I. We're part of it. We get to spread it. We get to talk about, I, the good news is that the gospel still has power today. That as the message of Jesus Christ goes out, people are still set free. And it hasn't ended. And so what we're going to see in the book of Acts is a bunch of people set free from religious oppression. That will hear the powerful words of the gospel and be forever changed and forever freed. The same group of people will begin to do life with one another, encouraging each other towards Christ, meeting with one another day by day. We will encounter a group of people battling in prayer all night because some of their own are in trouble. All night. Can you imagine? Text goes out, hey, we got some people who are in trouble. We need to battle and pray, let's meet here. How long is it gonna take? All night? Or can I say it this way until deliverance happens? I got a call, uh, I think it was yesterday from Justice. Some of you may not know who he is, um, but his nephew just died of uh, some form of cancer. I won't say it's leukemia at a really young age. So he's on his way to the funeral. It's been an ongoing process. The family's been knowing like this is where it was going to lead, but no one ever, nothing ever prepares you for that moment. And so I was wondering, because I had this on my mind as I was wrestling with this, like when a family finds out that information that things are going to go that way, was there was there a family, a church? that had the courage and willingness to battle on their knees all night long to intervene for for such a child. Man, we got so distracted. We play the games. We show up to the church. We put in our time. We make sure that we give what needs to be given and we serve in the areas at which needed. But raw prayer meeting where we have no agenda except for to seek the face of the Lord and watch him intervene in the hearts and minds of people to set them free from disease, from sickness, from depression, from oppression, to see their lives change. We're going to see in the book of Acts a group of people praying all night deliverance occurred families will be set free jailers lives turned around inmates overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus an entire community turned upside down by people divulging their sins and relinquishing their idols a faithful lover of Jesus will proclaim the beauties and the realities of the gospel as stones are being thrown his way And in that very day, he embraces his savior, Jesus forevermore. A murderer will be chased down and changed forever by the grace of God. A girl will be rescued out of the human trafficking scene and restored to community the gospel will continue to fan out until it reaches the ends of the earth. And here today, we are a testament to the never-ceasing extraordinary power and reaching mercies of the gospel. We're a part of this story. and we get to watch it unfold, will you stand with me? We're going to sing. While we sing, there's going to be people to my left and right who will be here to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, we have people willing to battle with you. Don't hesitate. If you need to just come forward and kneel, whatever it is that you need to do right now, this is your time to respond to what God is teaching, showing you. What a beautiful moment. Let's not rush it. Let's allow God to have space because the moment we leave this room, life gets busy. You'll get distracted. So let's let this team take the time that they need to continue to usher us into the presence of the Father, to listen to what he wants to show us. Father, we love you. Have your way in this moment. Let us know the assurance we have because of your son, Jesus. Let us celebrate together as a family, as an army, as ones who trust in the work you have done, you are doing, and you will complete. Have your way in this moment. We love you.